0: So Matt and I went to uh, a recording of the Radio 4 programme uh, um, um, of Mastertops. Mastertops, And it was recorded at the Maida Vale Studios, the historic BBC Maida vale Studios. Of and we sat approximately, ooh, ten feet away. And we were in the second row while well, for an hour and a half Randy Newman played through oh! his highlights <laughs> no, of his back catalogue and um, took oh questions. And, uh, specifically about Sail Away. Yeah, so the, it was the album that he was specifically talking about was Sail Away, which is his third studio, S, yes, his third studio record, early seventies. And um, the thing about Randy Newman is Randy Newman is a you know, he's a great songwriter. We would we, 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 we all agree. I would a great say, great I'd say he's the, I, the to best. me, he's the best. I think. And. Um, but also, he is funny. Yeah. Matt. Proper funny. I mean, funny. he is proper Dark funny, funny in funny. his... So when he plays the songs, if you've ever seen him live, you sort of know how the song's going to go. You know, he, he, he tends to knock them out, bang, bang, bang. What he says between the songs is just gold dust. And Matt and I were talking about this, wasn't he? He just... hes one of the, He's got that incredible timing where he can do so much with so little, right?
2: He's one of my big loves of life. I was first actually turned on to his music by when I was doing my MA in English and American Literature from 1880 to the present day, when one of my tutors sat us down and said, you will learn more about America by by reading and listening to these lyrics than you will from any book about anything.
0: He's very funny about the Pixar songs. And he said, Well that's what most people know me for. It's like I, I had a second chance yeah. in about the year 2000 where I suddenly became known and, and my job is that my job is not to pack away some hidden message. They said they said what we want the song to be about in Toy Story is he's a kid and he's got, there's a cowboy and they're friends. And so I went, You got a friend in me, you got a friend in me, you got a friend of me. They went, that's exactly what we'll ever
1: do. <laughs>
3: so it's genius. you know. and it's a lovely song it's a great exactly.
0: song
4: but he, there's just something about everything he does that even though he's playing it straight you know there's some there's just the, the intonation i mean he, i remember sitting in with small children watching that and tony twist right, this, this, Rand, this is Randy Newman. They've done a, Pixar. I've got Randy Newman to do yeah. the thing—an unthinkable thing for a, for, a, for a, a, a children's movie, but it worked perfectly. But there's just that always that edge of humour in in his voice, like,
3: like Derek Jacobi narrating in the Night Garden. You can always tell that he's viewing <laughs> yeah. it in several different yeah. <laughs> in several different perspectives.
1: <laughs> oh, classicism. Sure we're we're going to talk thing. about. I'm
2: really hoping that there's, there are successive generations of children who will come to the work of Randy Newman in their teens. Through Toy Story. Uh, through Toy Story. Great. What a
0: magnificent thing that is. Though. It must have happened that it, they, they stumble upon hap- these far darker songs. You know
2: when your kids are going, oh, mums, turn that off, what on earth is that you're listening to? They, 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 they actually did hear me playing Randy Newman. They go, is that the guy from Toy Story? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Matt Matt enjoys uh, Randy's work almost as much as he enjoys the work of Warren Zevon as well, right? Possibly more.
4: (laughs) Well, with uh, the sound of Randy Newman in our ears, shall we start? (laughs) Hello and welcome to Backlisted, the podcast that gives new life to old books. We're gathered on the bank above a stretch of river in the garden of our sponsors (laughs) Unbound, the website which brings authors and readers together to create something special. I'm John Mitchinson, the publisher of Unbound.
0: Uh, And I'm Andy Miller, author of The Year of Reading Dangerously, and my forthcoming one-man show, Andy Miller Plays Sad Songs on a Guitar He Found in a Skip. (laughs) (laughs) Why why are you laughing? Just because it's funny,
4: Andy, sorry. Okay, that's fine. uh, The way you tell them.
0: uh, Joining us today are the novelist and critic Alex Preston. Hello, Alex Preston.
3: Hello, Andy. Hello, John. Hello.
0: Andy. Um, and Alex is the author of three novels. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, well One of Three novels: uh, *This Bleeding City*, *The Revelations*, *In Love and War*. And you're also the co-author of a new book, which we—I'm just going to linger on very um, slightly—called *As Kingfishers Catch Fire*, which is uh, a collaboration with the designer and artist Neil Gower, which I was very fortunate your publisher sent me a copy this week. It's a beautiful, a it's beautiful, beautiful thing. book, right? Yeah. Can you just tell people what it is?
3: Uh, it's, so it's a celebration of birds in literature um, and it's illustrated and it goes through bird by bird. So you have the swallow from Ovid to Ted Hughes. Mm. You have the uh, barn owl from uh, Shelley to Richard Maybe. Um, and in all of them with with paintings by Neil. And, and, and Neil
0: Neil painted these specifically, didn't he? Yes. Yeah, so uh, so I would send bird. him. Yeah. I would
3: send him the chapter that I'd written, which attempts to kind of draw out these these various kind of literary references to can't, the to the birds through time. Can't wait to see it. It's, it's a, Do you know what they've done? And, and actually Corsair, who who, yeah, who yeah. have done. I mean, they've done an extraordinary job with it. It's um, it's strokeable.
0: <laughs> it is. And we're also joined today. By um, Unbound uh, editor at large Rachel Kerr. Hello, Rachel. Hello,
2: everyone.
0: And uh, Rachel is not only Unbound editor at large; she is also. <laughs> John Mitchinson's carer <laughs> <laughs> um, and helper. That's
4: right, Andy. That's, that's right. right, isn't yeah, it? That is right, yeah. Uh,
0: they are spousally <laughs> arranged. So, so, sometimes. So, sometimes, yes. And, and Rachel is here for a specific reason other than um, assisting John today. So we're, go- <laughs> we're going to come on to that.
4: In the orchard of guestage, yes, <laughs> uh, an apple <coughs> has been plucked. So the book we're here to talk to Alex and Rachel about is... Haunts of the Black Masseur by Charles Spawson. Engaging title. Amazing book. Uh, and it, Haunts
0: of the Black Masseur uh, is a book about... It was published in the early 90s, and it's a book about swimming. So we're also going to be talking about... This is, uh, I suppose, we've had other... Splashing we've around. Other had, we've had other specials on that list.ed I suppose this is our swimming special. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, well, so I, I
3: really... did try and persuade you to, to, to have it outdoors. <laughs> on the Tell track.
0: people what you suggested. Yeah. Right. Well,
3: I suggested that you come down. I live in, in the, on the south coast near Rye, and I suggested you come and have a swim in, in the river near my house, and then we record the podcast you know in, the, in in the open air and, uh.
4: I was all for it I love a bit of river swimming <laughs> yeah
0: uh, everyone else everyone who knows me went has he ever met me?
3: he, uh, does, he uh, does he
0: understand has he ever actually listened to this podcast well, I thought
4: maybe you know we could have been, we could have got one of those bathing engines you know one of the things that you wheel down to, to the river we yeah, could have gone for the whole you could have you could have a natty little sort of cardigan type swimsuit I we? would
0: not remove my tie. <laughs> <laughs>
4: anyway, let's crack on Andy, what damp
0: book have you been reading this week? <laughs> so I've been reading a book by our former guest on Backlisted John Grinrod, who came in and talked uh, about six months ago about Memento Mori* by Muriel Spark. and John has a new book out called Outskirts, Living Life on the Edge of the Green Belt and John grew up in New Addington which is a Near estate area on the outskirts of Croydon. So this is a book, about, he, really, he does a really clever thing at the beginning of the book where he says, we lived in the last road in London, we lived in the edge of the estate, where if you looked behind us you could see the estate and if you looked in front of us you could see the green belt. And in a sense, looking in both directions at the same time is what the book is about as, a, as somebody who grew up in the suburbs or about what the function of the green belt is. And one of the things that he that is so interesting about the book, he basically put, weaves two strands together. One is about the history of the green belt. And one of the things that you learn from the book is that whatever you think you understand by the term green belt, you the didn't... more you think about it and read about it, the less you know it sort of can mean a huge variety of different things to different people in different political contexts. So in that respect, it's, it's similar to his previous book, which is called Concretopia. But it's also a memoir of growing up in the suburbs. And I must say that I found uh, reading it, it was one of those books that I read in, with my ever-present the ever-present chip on my shoulder, thinking, <laughs> right, why aren't there more books like this? Yeah. There should be more books like this but, by people who live in the places that most people live, not the inner city and not Hampstead. Edgelands. You know, Paul Farley's so, Edgelands. There are so few know, books right. that deal oh. with right. the places most people live. right? And, and John and I did an event um, at Rough Trade a few weeks ago where we tried to talk about a few of the books... That might feature, and it's hard to, to get beyond nine or ten.
3: Richard Mabey's mm, brilliant on yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's where he grew up as well, and that's what nourished his. We were talking about fiction. And we Paul Paul were talking about Paul Farley. Like, did Paul yeah. Farley, Edg- yeah. Edge book. Red book, really.
0: Hill Rococo by Mackay. Yeah, Sheena Mackay, yeah. McKay. Sheena McKay. Sheena McKay, yeah. You know, well, beyond a, Black by Hilary Mantel, you know, Beyond Black by Hilary Mantel, and Nobs. The whole, the whole knobs, and David uh, knobs, uh, Absolutely. Which, and, I
4: mean, yeah. I, I guess Jonathan Coe is sort of in.
0: There's two things I want to say about that. I found the book very interesting and moving, but I also found it incredibly... It's a strange thing to say, but I really found it quite moving to see sort of my experience of my place in the world set out in print. I just want to read a little bit, which will, funnily enough, relate to what we're going to talk about for our main book. So this is from the introduction of Outskirts, and this is what what John says about the Greenbelt. Despite our best efforts... On the small island of Great Britain, there are still ancient wilds, woodlands and moors where few people venture, remote and apart from the towns and cities where most of us spend our lives. Places where nature still flourishes, red in tooth and claw, green in stem and shoot, pale in frond and fin. But much of the open space in Britain is not found in rugged highlands or spectacular national parks. It is nearer the towns and cities where most of us live. A tame version of the country with little of that edgy glamour that people seek out for rambling treks, wild swimming, or getaway weekends. (laughs) It even has a name that suggests mere practicality, vanity even, as opposed to mystery and grandeur. The Green Belt. If mountains and locks are the cinemascope version of our countryside, the Green Belt is the sitcom. Cozy. (laughs)
2: It's
0: good, isn't it? Cozy, familiar, cyclical to be seen in regular short bursts. It is the small, pretty flowers of Laura Ashley wallpaper, rather than the awe-inspiring atmospheric excesses of romantic painting. A frilly green doily around the edge of our cities. Here the wildlife is the grey squirrel, fox and wood pigeon rather than the beaver, otter or wildcat. City folk might go out there for a weekend cycle, but for a proper break, seek adventure in the real wilds beyond. Highland or North Welsh folk might find this tame landscape almost funny. It's the place where cross people meet to try and put a stop to the modern world, (laughs) whether it be wind farms, fracking or road widening schemes. Yet it's also full of commuters building extra bedrooms and adding value and farms with hillsides of yellow yellow oilseed rape or golden barley, where developers win some and lose some. And, of course, there's much that's more surprising than any of this too, Strange small towns, landfill sites, abandoned military facilities, motorway service stations, follies. In England alone, the Greenbelt accounts for 13% of our total land. In Scotland, 2%. In Northern Ireland, 16%. Yet most of us would be hard-pressed to explain a few fundamentals about this strange phenomenon. What exactly is it? Is there more than one? If so, where can you find them? And why and how did they come about? Was it an ancient idea we inherited from the baronial landowners of yore or something more recent and practical like health and safety laws or immunisation? Are there people we can thank for it? (laughs) And why don't we know who they are? What do these green belts say about our temperament, our hopes and ambitions? Are they indeed an attempt to give us a national character? When it comes to answering these questions, have the solutions been hidden in plain sight? Have we not been able to see the wood? For the trees, oh,
2: he's That's a good then. writer, isn't he? He's a Well done. Right, Grimma. and also
0: the other thing about that, the thing that John is so brilliant about, is is outlining the way in which the Green Belt was was a effectively socialist idea in the spirit yeah. of the NHS and like the socialist idea in the spirit of the NHS has been appropriated by whoever wants to appropriate Absolutely. it subsequently. Um, so, yeah, I, I really recommend it. It's very Great. moving, very political, very informative. Good work. Good work, Grindrod. John, what have you been reading this week? I have been
4: reading uh, a book by Nell Stevens called Bleaker House. Uh, the subtitle is Chasing My Novel to the End of the World. And I have to say, it's, uh, it, it comes blazoned with... A, it's published by Picador, very good blazoned with a, a quote from Lena Dunham saying my favourite debut of 2017 um, I it, kind of it, it's difficult not to like it's about the attempt to write a novel uh, uh, She managed through her university at uh, Boston University they have a creative writing fellowship she got a chance to go and work in another country for three months to write a book so she chose for reasons I, I won't go into she chose Bleaker Island, which is a small island off the coast of the Falkland Islands in the southwest. It has a popu- total population of two people. So she kind of yeah. increased the population by one while she was there. It's about not writing a no- how not to write a novel. Mm-hmm. She came. She'd be doing a creative writing course. She had a novel mapped out in her head. I'll read you just a little bit, which gives you. It has. I mean, you know, I know everything gets gets compared slightly to Bridget Jones in these things, but it's, it's much funnier than that, and much wittier and wiser than than that in a way. But here we go. From my writing station in the sunroom, carefully disarranged laptop and notebooks, blue pen, black pen, pencil, Bleak House. Bleak House is the novel she has with her, and it's the, the, the novel that she has a dialogue with throughout with a view of the bay and the red roof shearing shed beyond it, i drink my whole day's ration of black instant coffee and make calculations. If a first novel should be 90,000 words, I read this somewhere on the internet once and cling to it as absolute indisputable fact. Then after my fault starts in archive digging days in Stanley, which produced only 10,000, I have 80,000 words to go. I'm on the island for 41 days and will need to leave sometime at the end for revisions. A week or so should be enough for that, surely?' So, say, that leaves me with 32 writing days. That's 80,000 divided by 32, which equals 2,500. I shall write 2,500 words each day, and by the time I leave Bleeker, I will have drafted and revised a whole novel. <laughs> totally doesn't happen
1: <laughs> totally oh totally oh <laughs> totally
4: doesn't happen but of course Bless. the joy and, and the, the loveliness of the book is and it's a mad idea she's on her own for most of that time so she does of course go slightly mad she her dreams become incredibly vivid she does write quite a lot of stuff but what comes out of the book is not the novel it is in fact bleaker house yeah, yeah. and I mean yeah. it it sounds tricksy it isn't because no. she's got a love she's got a lovely lovely narrative voice she writes really well well um, that's why you...
0: that's what I was going to ask you right see, I like books about nothing yeah okay i <laughs> if, if and I do if provided because they often give a platform for someone who's got a particular style to Expand upon that style without getting weighed down by having to convey information. So I'm quite serious about that. Does she have that? From what you read, yeah, it sounds like I she think, has that. And
4: then she comes back. I'm, I'll give you the. the I'll give you the, the meat of the book. She gets asked by somebody, "What's the hey? What's the punchline of your book?" <laughs> and she's going, "Oh, don't even ask me." But she comes. The punchline is that I did leave this island with a book, and here's here's the bullet points. Solitude is the contented twin of loneliness. Variety is a kind of company. Everything is a kind of work. Do not look into your own heart and write, but do not be surprised if you end up there all the same. (laughs) Despite despite what you think and despite what Ted Hughes might lead you to believe, there is no such thing as effortless concentration. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, it kind of ends up in a very good place. And I, I think she's a good writer and I think she will probably go on to write quite a good novel. But the bits of the novel that are in here that she's incredibly... I mean, it's an incredibly brave thing to do. There's bits that work better than others. Let's just say there are bits that work better than others. But the whole thing
0: actually, weirdly, hangs together. It's a mad idea. It sort of works. It struck me as a book... I haven't read it. I read a couple of reviews of it, and one of the reviews was a classic. um, I mean, you know, we've all read and written reviews. It was a classic... See, I read the review, and I thought, I like the sound of this book, because the person who's written this review... Didn't get it. No, right. Didn't didn't get what was good about it. They've what? reviewed the book that they would have written exactly in the same in, well, the, in the that writer's shoes. And and, and I can and see and furious at some level that that's not what this person decided to go ahead and do. A lot more thought and there's a lot
4: more thought and a lot more care has gone into the structuring and patterning of this book.
3: That's that John John Updike quite quote work out what spell the writer is trying to yeah. uh, create and and submit yourself to it as yeah. best you can, you know, and don't don't and, review a book and, that they didn't try and write. You know,
4: it's 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 not it, you know, it's not gonna change anybody's life, but it's what it is going to do is give you a few hours of I mean it's really, really fun. I really enjoyed it and I, and it's the book you do read in a couple of sort of couple of gulps.
0: I've heard of this thing called reading for pleasure. Mm. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Yeah. Would it fall into you, that
4: category? Did you notice Andy in the uh, brief plug here for in the Radio Times, which uh, podcast of the week feature what? this <laughs> did week? You did, you say, <laughs> did you say
3: podcast of the week in
0: the did, Radio Times? In Toms? the Radio Times, Andy, oh. yeah.
4: Claire Malcolm from New Writing North said we've sold out now, and she's going to stop listening. <laughs> 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 we've become establishment. But um, you just remind me you,
0: of a Randy Newman. <laughs> studies, Randy Newman said this brilliant story. He said he was asked in an interview recently could you give somebody a tip for breaking into the music business? And he said, why would you want to do that? Breaking into the music business these days is like breaking into a bank that's already been robbed. <laughs> Ooh. God,
4: that's brilliant. That's like publishing. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yes. Anyway, uh, we should get on, we should crack on. Now, as is, as is now <laughs> traditional, or has recently been tra- made traditional, we're going to take a break to hear from one of our authors. And the, the one we're going to hear from today, this is, I think, a book that works perfectly in this context, I hope. House of Fiction by Phyllis Richardson, which is a book about the great houses of fiction. None of the houses obviously are necessarily uh, featured in the book that we're talking about on the podcast, but uh, Bleak I, house. quite a few of them have got quite a few of them got swimming pools. Okay. Yeah, okay. Um, but anyway, here is Phyllis.
5: My name is Phyllis Richardson. I am the author of a book called House of Fiction. It is a book about houses in literature, as they appear in, in English lit- literature specifically, and the relationships that the various authors. Uh, had with houses that they visited or lived in or loved or were obsessed with and how they translated those relationships into fiction, into fictional houses that most of us know, have heard of, have read about and may have become a little bit obsessed with ourselves. So The book begins with one of the earliest novels, Tristram Shandy, from mid-18th century and goes right up to, well, it's the 1980s with Julian Barnes and Metroland. So I'm talking about houses in a kind of historic sense, but also in the more modern sense, how housing changed, ideas of housing as in the suburban house with uh, someone like Julian Barnes and also with J.G. Ballard talking about uh, the high rise. I'm reading from chapter nine of House of Fiction, and the title of the chapter is Rooms of Her Own, Virginia Woolf's Houses of Memory. And there's an epigraph in the beginning of the chapter. Uh, this is an extract from Virginia Woolf's diary from the 11th of August 1905. She says, we could fancy that we were but coming home and that when we reached the gate at Talland House, we should thrust it open and find ourselves among the familiar sights again. In 1905, ten years after their mother died, eight years since the death of their half-sister Stella, 18 months since their father had also passed away, and a little over a year after she herself had made her first attempt at suicide by throwing herself out a window, Virginia Stephen and her siblings made a pilgrimage. Aged from 22 to 26, Vanessa, Toby, Virginia, and Adrian had recently embarked on an unconventional living arrangement in London that would give rise to the legendary Bloomsbury group of artists and intellectuals. But on this trip they were taking a journey back in time to the place where they had spent 13 idyllic summers as a family. In 1881, their father, the eminent critic and biographer Leslie Stephen, had discovered Talland House in in St. Ives, Cornwall, on one of his many walking expeditions. It was a three-story detached house sat on a hill overlooking Porthminster Beach with Godreevy Lighthouse visible in the distance. And from then on, from July to September each year, Stephen installed his large family and an array of guests in the airy seaside house, which would become a touchstone for his youngest daughter's art. For Virginia Woolf, certain houses were of huge importance and for specific reasons. Her first home in Kensington came to represent the Victorian enigma that she would battle against in her life and writing, while Talent House was a childhood idol that would inspire her throughout her life. The independent and relaxed lifestyle she was able to pursue in various residences in Bloomsbury gave her the mental space encouraged to produce the experimental novels that are her defining achievement. And finally, the retreat that she and her husband, Leonard Wolfe, had at Monk's house in East Sussex gave her the opportunity to recreate some of the atmosphere that she loved so well of those early days at Talent House, while having private space for herself and a continual stream of family friends whom she liked to see, quote, dotted about on the estate.
4: The House of Fiction by Phyllis Richardson is published by Unbound and available to order from all good bookshops. Backlisted listeners can get money off by ordering at unbound.com using the code BACKOFF at checkout. That's all one word,
0: B-A-C-K-O-F-F, at checkout. Now, here are our sponsors telling you what to do.
1: And
4: now we're back in the room uh, to get on with the main matter in hand, which is the r- very, very uh, 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 singular book, Haunts of the Black Masseur, by Charles Sprawson.
0: Singular, li- literally singular, because uh, this is Charles, to date, yeah. Charles Sprawson's only book, I think I'm right in saying. And it's a great
4: pleasure to have Alex Preston, Uh, here to talk to us about it and uh, Rachel of
0: course as well (laughs) (laughs) Alex so where did you first run into this book?
3: Uh, So I was given this book by my best friend when I was I guess in my late teens Um, his name was Hugo Godwin and he was the son of a man called David Godwin who Mm, discovered this book and so Hugo, best man at my wedding and we swum together a lot and said this is Uh. A book that you will love, and indeed, I absolutely love it and have loved it and, and read it and reread it ever since. Do you
0: think that in order to love the book, one has to be a swimmer <laughs> of <laughs> rivers, ponds? And canals. Oh. No, no. I, I mean, I think you've and named. You've named dangerous. three
3: of the of the swimming places that I think Sportson most disapproves of. Sportson is a sea swimmer. He is. Um, you know, he that that. In fact, there's a lovely review of the book by Iris Murdoch where. She, I think in the New York Review of Books, where she talks about... Uh, I mean, she calls it, she says, as, as zestful as a dip in, in a bath of champagne or something. But she recognises that Sprawson looks down on her because she is a river swimmer. <laughs> um, Sprawson likes swimming where there's a lot of danger, mm-hmm. and there's no mm-hmm. danger in rivers and ponds. OK, that's a fair point. But do you have to be a, do you have to be a swimmer uh, no, I mean, I think it's a, a book for people who like books more than people... Who indeed,
0: books. indeed, indeed, indeed. I quite agree. Rachel, where did you first encounter Haunts of the Black Masser?
2: Well, I I was actually working at Jonathan Cape with David Godwin when Hugo was probably about ten. Um, <laughs> and I was the publicist for this book when it first came out. And it was one of those moments in, in publishing where you read a book that is quite unlike any other book that you've mm. ever read, and... There was a marvellous sort of glamour about Sprawson, who was this terribly well-spoken, um, sort of handsome, slightly military-bearing Raj born in the born in Pakistan in the forties, sort of this author that came in and talked to us about the book, and there was a sort of moment where we all completely fell in love with him. Um and it was and the book was just full of that easy easy kind of uh, erudition and you just felt you were learning and I am the kind of swimmer who uh, you know, I hate a swimming pool, I can't bear chlorine but I'm the kind of swimmer that is very very terrified of weed at the bottom or anything Mm -hmm. getting wrapped around my legs so it made me more adventurous when I was reading it. It was just one of those books that everybody got very very excited about Uh, and completely fell in love with.
0: This book came out 25 years ago and I remember it coming out and I remember it being reviewed Did you, as the publicist in charge of the book, when you were first presented with it, did you have any sense of where where on the scale of how between easy and difficult it was going to be to get attention for the book?
2: I just fell in love with the book. And I'm I'm one of those really tragic people that when I really love a book, I was like, you've got to read this book, and it's really complete. I got so... I was so thrilled by it. And so I remember... I remember I used to write letters to journalists in the days before email I mean this was long before anyone had a had an email account where you sent press releases I would write you know personalized letters to 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 journalists about things I remember one journalist I think it was Mick Brown at the Telegraph once ring me up and saying Rachel I can't do anything with this book but please never stop sending me your letters because if I was really excited Mm. about a book it would be really effusive and I think they probably found it quite amusing
3: But But Rachel you and I were talking earlier about lending books and I always have more than one copy of this book in my house because I'm worried that I'll give away my first edition if I don't, I love it so much, and I press it on people. So yeah, and where's exactly, our first edition?
4: Richard? I know.
2: I think well, uh, that, that's exactly it. When we we were that's looking, ag. no, we were looking, we were looking for our first edition, which I which I have, which I which I in my memory I think is a signed edition, but it's not on our bookshelves. And I know that I personally would never have given away a first edition of this particular book because I love it so much. So I just Everybody's know. Everybody's looking at me now. Yeah. Everyone's looking at you. Yeah.
4: Well, it's, I'm sorry. After it's a true, one but it is, many, it is exactly a particularly that bibulous.
2: Of... Sunday lunch. It is exactly that Obviously. kind of book. read this it,
4: it book it's marvellous. You, you, you know, it's the, exactly the kind of book you have a conversation and say, oh, I like swimming, and you say, oh, have you read sports? You must have read. And, of course, you know, the, the, the title is remarkable enough, and we'll talk about that maybe a bit, a bit later on. But it is, it, it, I mean, from my memory, I certainly remember, I mean, I'd read this book before Rachel and I were together. Uh, I was probably one of the people you sent a letter to when I was at Waterstones and I read it in God proof goodness. and got incredibly excited about it and I remember going to New Zealand um, uh, uh, with my uh, with, with my then wife and uh, and spent the whole holiday in New Zealand, it was going for a friend's wedding, trying to find places that I could go and swim in, I mean you know we were up Tongariro one of the mountains, uh, volcanoes and I sw- swimming in Volcanic lakes, and it had it did have an immediate and electrifying effect, I think, on a lot of people because it, it suddenly the, sun, the core of the book, which is the idea of swimming as a connection with something bigger, with some with the past was just, it was the right book at the right moment. It's a a template for an obsession. Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: That's a brilliant description. It's a very accurate description.
0: I I felt two things. I'd only ever dipped into the book. I'd never read it all the way through. (laughs) Sorry, dipping in, I'll be saying it again. I apologise, but it's true. I'd only ever dipped into it. This is the first time i read it from cover to cover. And the two things that struck me coming to it as a book that I remember from the early 90s. And so I sort of remember the context you're talking about, Rachel, and the way it was published and how it was reviewed. I remember it being around, you know. Yeah. The two things that struck me were, first of all, at about the halfway point, I thought, oh, it's called Haunts of the Black Masseur, and then the subtitle is The Swimmer as Hero. And I thought, that subtitle is brilliant. Yeah. Whoever came up with that yeah. subtitle, because actually it's at the halfway point of the book, it begins to coalesce around the idea where you realise what you're reading. Although it wanders around other topics, you are, you are reading about um, people yeah. as much as swimming. You're, you're, the idea of what we invest in, in from Greek times... Um, through to the present day in, in, in heroic figures. And in this instance, it's heroic figures in relation to swimming, but it actually could be... There's a whole subtext there, I think, about human beings need to look at other human beings and, and put them on pedestals or diving boards, as you see fit. The second thing that I thought about it, coming at it at this distance, was this would be a book that it would be much, much easier at least to imitate now because of the Internet. And reading it now, I, actually, really, I thought, really actually thought this, the, there's so much, there's, there's several, again and again, Sprawson does this thing where I read a paragraph and I thought, that's so condensed, you must have read three or four books to get that paragraph, yeah. this must have taken you years, years to yeah. write. With no well, that, access to that, that
2: was part of our sort of uh, uh, where we were all blown away by the by the book was the sort of that oh my god he, you know what he, you know this is this is full of this is full of stuff that, you, that sent you scurrying in those days not to Google but to a, a bookshelf somewhere and oh my god who, and, and and sort of who's he talking about here who's who's this person who's that person and but it was that but it was just sort of just presented so elegantly and so. Yeah, he uh, I,
4: think, sorry, no, I was going to uh, say, where's his learning, right, lightly? Yeah, that really
3: light but but, but that's, I mean, Andy, I think that's fascinating. Your, your your idea about what the internet has done to the idea of learnedness, because one of the people that, that I kept thinking of as I was reading it this time, I, I think perhaps because I just read James Wood's essay in the New Yorker on the comedy of W.G. Sebald. Um, I think. That, <laughs> no, I'm uh, with him. I think Sebald's, fun I think Sebald's yeah. very funny, and I think Sproulson here is very, very funny. Yeah. He's, very. Funny. He's melancholy. He's uh, nostalgic, but he's also deeply, deeply humorous. B- because, like Sebald, he is—you know—he's learned. He's melancholy. He's nostalgic, but I also—I think there is a real humour here, and I think it's yeah. a funny book.
0: Yeah, yeah, I—I yeah. I, I agree with you. In fact, I think we should listen to a bit of this is Sproulson himself. There was a film of Haunts of the Black Massacre, of which there is a little clip up on um, YouTube. This you, can, is... you
3: can get it. It's a, it's a, a Canadian production company. Can it's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a good film.
0: I think, actually, if we listen to Sporce Speaking, this is one of those brilliant examples where when, once you hear his voice, you realise
1: he writes like he speaks. So let's hear him now. The Hellespont is the goal of every classical swimmer. A few miles inland are the remains of Troy. It's a place full of mythical associations on the northern shore on the European shore the scenes of various Greek naval battles So it's a place that's full of classical mystery and for that reason I and many other classes have wanted to swim it When you come down the hill as I did by car and approach the Hellespont It looks far narrower than one imagined especially the narrowest place the narrowest part of the channel and uh, i immediately started swimming across i thought it would be so easy and within 10 feet i was pulled across towards the aegean if i hadn't clung to a rock i'd have been swept miles away into the, far out into the aegean and so i realized it wasn't as easy as i thought and i took the uh the ferry boat back and next day, arranged for a, a boat to accompany me on a, on a on a far wider bit of the channel.
3: Very busy traffic,
1: and it was quite rough and quite difficult, especially for the last two hundred yards. And I only just managed to get
4: there. <laughs> it's so <very> wonderful. <laughs> it's the cleverest. That's what I love about. It. I, I I'm so pleased you you brought out the humour, but also the. There isn't much scholarly apparatus, you know, there's not masses of footnotes, there isn't even a bibliography. It, it, it's, it feels very like one of those wonderful 19th century, you know, works of, of scholarship, but with an incredibly kind of, that, as you say, that modern sensibility of just, just rather, just rather, this was all rather... This is all rather wonderful. Now it's not so wonderful, but I don't mind.
3: And it it reminds you, because actually he calls upon so many of the characters that that he then writes like. Because I think the structure is very important, that he starts off giving you, if you like, a literary introduction to swimming. And what he does is he gets all of these people on side. So he takes you through people like George Borrow, like Swinburne, Shelley, Byron, Jack London, and then he uses them... In the second half of the book, to describe the world of swimming. So it, 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 he is writing in a literary history of great writers who have written about but, swimming.
4: And how, the, the thing that, that astonishes is just how important swimming. You, he makes he, you know he puts a thesis down that you think really. And yes. then he totally nails absolutely. it absolutely you realize that that actually this immersion in water that he writes that he writes about that they all write about the sense of being there 's a brilliant bit where he throws in a bit of Freud saying you know it 's all about sort of about wanting to be mothered and return you know, well, the, most enthusiastic all return to the womb. but he does it all you know he doesn 't force any of the, he, he tosses in his own observations almost casually, but he can, what you realize is that my God, yes this. This being in water, this, the, you know, from Goethe through to F. Scott Fitzgerald. So many writers. You suddenly see, I hadn't thought about literature. I hadn't thought about this strand of literature as being so important before.
0: And he, he was talking in the clip we listened to about Hellspont there. Could you say something... Uh, about i mean i you know the extent of my ignorance uh, in this area was <laughs> profound, I realized as i as I read the book um but could you say something about why that is so important well, because to the it book was and to to
3: to the book and to and to the swimming world so the hellespont is is you know notoriously difficult to swim. I think my father did tried it and maybe gave up or did. There was one part of it where, anyway, it's it's it, it's Byron is the reason. Byron swam it, and it was the mark of Byron's heroism. It was the thing yeah. that set him apart from the people who pretended to be heroes uh, and 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 writers and and weren't. And so, for Sprawson, it is not only you know he's looking across to Troy. This is part of of, of his classical uh, background, but it's also about. Uh, about following in the footsteps of of Byron, being the great swimmer writer.
0: Well, we'll talk a bit about Sprowson later on, but I, I just want the, normally on that list, I, I have you know recourse to life stories and biographies, and, journals and, and journals. Indeed, <laughs> Sprawson's author note is in and of itself a <laughs> tiny masterpiece. This is a, the published information about the author Charles Sproson at the front of Holmes of the Blackness Earth. Charles Sprawson studied at Trinity College Dublin, deals in nineteenth-century paintings, and recently swam the Hell's Pond. <laughs> I mean, that's one, thats wonderful. They, whoever, whoever allowed that to
3: pass, Rachel.
2: I—I I seem to remember he was quite adamant that that was all. That it's we it's shrunk
4: for the latest vintage edition. It's even smaller.
2: I think they've cut out the bit about him dealing in nineteenth century. It's 20th. just a,
4: Charles Portion's an obsessional swimmer and diver who has swum the Hell's Pond. They've also, which is what I was trying to say, I think bafflingly taken the the uh, subtitle off the off the cover. That's a mistake, which I would say is a is a, is a big mistake. A It's in the vintage classic classics
0: tradition. Yeah. 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 Um, do you- Alex, could you read us something that you feel... Well, uh, I think,
3: you know, so clearly swimming the Hellespont is one of the kind of heroic moments of, of the book, but actually another great moment is when he tries to swim the Tagus in, oh. in Lisbon, <laughs> which is... Um, this is great. It's, it is. It's just it's wonderful, which, which Byron himself had done. So my destiny... I'm not going to read like him because... Because no. no, that I would take the whole podcast. Well, exactly. <laughs> My destination was a line of oil refineries on the other side which, once in Byron's time, had been full of orange groves and vineyards. After an initial crawl, I relapsed into a stately side stroke, which allowed me the leisure to look back at the shore through the palisade of masts in the marina. Behind the railway, the oblong factories and rectangular blocks of flats were occasional glimpses of the old Baroque balconies and twisting towers that William Beckford had once admired. This perverse and exotic voluptuary, adored by Byron, who was always trying to catch up with him, had exiled himself here to escape the consequences of some homosexual scandal in England. It was along this shore that he rode every day and sometimes swam. He had installed in his extravagant apartment floor-length mirrors that reflected the bodies of young men swimming in the river below, and looking down at night from his veranda on the little beach, he would long to stretch himself on the sands by moonlight and devote all his wild imaginings to some lovesick, languid youth reclining by his side. "'Alas,' he mourned, "'will my own youth pass away without my feeling myself once more tremblingly alive "'to these exquisite though childish sensations? (laughs) "'By now I was well over halfway across and drifting (laughs) towards the suspension bridge, "'trying hard to distract my mind from what lay around and beneath me "'with memories of Beckford and others.' when my thoughts were disturbed by the wail of a siren like those I imagined sounded at Alcatraz when a prisoner escaped from the island. Shortly afterwards, a patrol boat bore down on me. References to Byron made little impression. I was dragged from the water and subjected to an hour's interrogation. Apparently, no one was allowed to swim in the estuary unaccompanied by a boat and without the harbourmaster's permission. The river was considered too dirty and dangerous.' anyone spotted in it was either a drug smuggler or a stowaway and treated as such from the boat the further shore seemed disappointingly close but perhaps it was just as well there was an ocean liner approaching fast from under the bridge and there seemed little likelihood of my avoiding it
0: (laughs) oh so so good good. you know so when this book came out there w- we couldn't really think of precedents, could we?
2: No, there weren't any precedents. That was the really interesting thing, and that was that was why everyone was so excited about it. It was that sort of moment where, I mean, it was a particularly brilliant moment at, 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 to be part of Jonathan Cape. It was 1992 when we actually published it. We would won the Booker Prize with Ben Okri in 1991. We had the legendary Peter Dyer designing all our beautiful mm. covers. We were just fizzing with ideas of how to kind of get people mm. to read books and mm. stuff, and. The, the, the idea that, that that you weren't publishing something because somebody else had published something similar, you were publishing absolutely new kinds of
0: books. Well, this is the, my point. Really, is in marked contrast to now, where the swimming memoir or swim war. <laughs> <No. laughs> yes, I saw it referred to. In that, has, as, as, that's become <laughs> yeah. a that's we're become a, we're a, a, a genre. Peak genre. swimming. Aren't we? Right. Peak swimming. Yeah. And Alex, I was going to say to you. I mean, I have just. Do you, do you want to say something a bit about a, a bit about Philip Hall's? Name? Well, I've
3: just, i just—I mean, I'm reviewing um, the the new Philip Hall called Rising Tide, Falling Star, all one word, um, which is which is inspired uh, by Changes, One Bowie. Yes, I believe. I think you're right, and Bowie is very important in it. Bowie is one of the few figures who isn't entirely immersed in cold water. Mm-hmm. Throughout, mm-hmm. was though. David not a swimmer? <laughs> 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 oh
1: dear! Um, oh, and sorry, um, sorry.
3: Uh, it's, um, it's a book that owes a, a great deal to 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 Spross, and only because it's the same kind of blueprint of a mind, uh, and that yeah. mind being oh, totally immersed in water and in cold water you know i think that's the other thing yeah. about sprawson is that yes it's mediterranean but also you feel he's sometimes at his happiest when he's freezing i
0: have i've just been reading also sorry i keep saying this dipping into i've been dipping into jenny landreth's book which is called swell uh, which was published by bloomsbury earlier in the year yeah. uh, this is a, oh. subtitled, a water biography and um, this is a book about actually, in a sense, this is rather like john grinrod 's book outskirts. I was talking about earlier. This is a mixture of two things: her memoir of swimming, mm-hmm. but also the role of women in the history of swimming.
3: Which do, do, yeah. don't get a huge yeah, part yeah. in, uh, you know, if I were to yeah. put precisely a why I to, mention to, it. Yeah, well, I yeah. think that, and, and, and Alexandra Hemensley's book, yeah. very similar. Well, Leap in, I, I, I loved, finished yeah.
0: reading Haunts of the Black Massa and had had quite enough of gilded Johnny Weissmuller. Th- th- male torsos. Yeah, morbidly,
3: and, morbidly self-admiring is how he describes yes, them yes, himself. Yes. But that's there, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. what There's they are. There's a
0: phrase in, in Haunts the Black Masseur which I'm not going to read out because I don't think you would put it in a book now about the narcissism and how the narcissism relates to a particular medical condition yeah. um, that I think would probably be edited ah, out Oh Ah, yes, now.
3: wasn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. yeah right.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so I could sort of see I think that was slightly um, dated but but it was but I really I agree with you, Alex. I got to the end of the book and think, well, okay. And what's so interesting about Jenny's book, actually, almost she she likes. I asked her if she had read Haunts of the Black Master. So she likes it. She's not crazy about it. I felt that actually, what's so interesting about it is that there almost felt like a dialogue going on between her book and that book. There are several points, for instance, where Captain Webb, Captain Webb, who's, who's the great, a, who's
3: one of the great stories, in, yeah. Victorian in, in, in swimming heroes, book,
0: yeah. Jenny takes quite some time to counterpoint stories of female swimmers whose exploits and achievements could easily be compared with webs who of course were not we're on not, were, yeah, yeah.
3: And, and so it's it's the historical record yeah. in the same way uh, It's interesting that Philip Hoard goes, uh, I mean I think quite self-consciously goes in the other direction, and brings in Elizabeth Barrett Browning, bring, brings yeah. in Virginia Woolf, brings in—you know—it wasn't a story of yes, you know there's, Byron there's, and his and his, a, and his male acolytes. There's
4: a brief cameo of Virginia Woolf in the Cam with Rupert, Rupert Brooke, but it's about him, isn't it? But but, yeah.
2: But I, I, one of the people that really stands out in the in the in the Sporsen book, though, is Zelda Fitzgerald. Yes. Oh yes, that's, that's true. That's true. I mean, yeah. a spectacularly sort of intrepid diver and shucker off of flesh-coloured sat- We don't satinine. do
0: conservation. She <laughs> well, there, I also, She's marvelous. We should say that this book, The Haunts of the Black Master, also contains like a, a cameo appearances by, by several writers that we've talked about on Batlisted. So my, my great favourite WNP Barbellion, uh-huh. Author of Journal of a Disappointed Man is in here. Edmund Goss is in here. Yeah. Author of father and son. Denton, Denton Welsh. Denton Welsh. In in in. Yes, here. who
3: yeah. I discovered through backlisted and now am yeah. obsessed with. I yeah, mean, yeah. I think he's a wonderful writer. Scott Fitzgerald is yeah. in here. Yeah, who didn't, who didn't swim because he was embarrassed of his face
0: teeth. And J.G. Ballard. Yes. J.G. Ballard. Here is Ballard. You know, Ballard. Ballard I've I've this let, book. The thing yeah. is, there's a Ballard's quote on the back here. It says part social and cultural history and part personal credo. Haunts of the Black Mass is an exhilarating plunge into some of the deepest pools inside our heads. Of course, J.G. Ballard, even in a blurb, unable to uh, leave out a mention of a swimming pool. <laughs> <was he>? <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, we have a clip as well. Of, you cannot talk about writing about swimming without talking about the story The Swimmer by John Cheever. And here we have a clip of Cheever reading oh. from really? The Swimmer. Amazing.
6: Then it occurred to him that by taking a dog leg to the southwest, he could reach his home by water. The day was beautiful, and it seemed to him that a long swim might enlarge and celebrate its beauty. He took off a sweater that was hung over his shoulders and dove in. <clears throat> he had an inexplicable contempt for men who did not hurl themselves into pools. He swam a choppy crawl, breathing either with every stroke or every other fourth stroke, and counting somewhere well in the back of his mind the one-two-one-two one, two of a flutter kick, It was not a serviceable stroke for long distances, but the domestication of swimming had saddled the sport with some customs, and in his part of the world a crawl was customary. To be embraced and sustained by the light green water was less a pleasure, it seemed, than the resumption of a natural condition, and he would have liked to swim without trunks, but this was not possible considering his mission. He hoisted himself up on the far curb, he never used the ladder, and started across the lawn, When Lucinda asked where he was going, he said he was going to swim home.
0: Now, that is an extract of Chiva reading from the story of The Swimmer in 1975. There was, of course, a film made of The Swimmer, a wonderful film. Brilliant film. film. As I I was saying to somebody this morning, it's like an episode of The Twilight Zone directed by Antonioni. (laughs) It's (laughs) It's starring Burt Lancaster. Burt Lancaster, who is mentioned in Haunts of the Black Masseur, had to learn to swim for it.
3: The reason it's such a good story... Is because it gets that thing that again Sprawson does so well of the kind of dreamlike altered state of being in water um, that I think that the 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 thing at the end of, of the swimmer which we won't give away because it is kind of a, an extraordinary reveal but it does something to your consciousness of a reader and, and and I would I always I always wish I could read that story for the first time again because of the surprise of the ending. Yeah. Mm. Um, I. I I
4: don't think... I, it's funny rereading Sporzen after so long. Uh, there's so... And having read more... You know, you've read more 25 years. You've read different... But no-one, I think, has nailed the, the sense of the, the, the sheer sensual... I mean, it's, it's both sensual deprivation, but also completely the, the relationship... I just wanted to read this little bit from Flaubert. The sense of your, the, the mind and body being kind of in, in harmony through swimming, which... He just says, My sole pastime, my only sport, was the purest of all, swimming. It seems to me that I discover and recognize myself when I return to this universal element. My body becomes the direct instrument of my mind, the author of its ideas. To plunge into water, to move one's whole body from head to toe in its wild and graceful beauty, to twist about in its pure depths, this is for me a delight only comparable to love. It's just
2: that—that's Flubert. Flaubert. but what—that's the, the genius writing.
4: of Sporson. He, what you took going back to this internet. This is years of reading mm. and note taking, mm. and, and what <laughs> it's not cutting and pasting from the internet. It's 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 the sort of you could sort of feel that it's it is the, the work of a it, lifetime.
2: It's as though it's as though he's just casually saying it all the way through. Yeah. He's just telling. Drops, it. Drop stuff in. Just yeah. dropping mm. stuff in as though you were having a conversation. It, but it's there's
4: not, one bit near the start where he he can't <coughs> remember where the quote's from, and he re- refers to something as like... I've, he
3: just said it somewhere, yeah. he says, yeah. yeah right. <laughs> but he does, yeah. he does this it. wonderful thing of getting both the kind, that sensuous, yeah. um, you know, uh, uh, Roger Deakin in, in Waterlog, which is a book which we might a, talk uh, about yeah, alongside, he talks important. about being uh, enveloped by the water, this sensual, yeah. sensuous nature of it, but, but he also, Sprawson gets the kind of lustral purifying nature of the water as well and I think the balance there is one of the kind of, uh, it's one of the, 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 the frictions in the book that, that, that drives it along
0: I love this quote here, sorry uh, Alex, uh, uh, you were talking earlier about the humour uh, and there's, a, there's an anecdote here Bertrand Russell bathed by moonlight <laughs> with Rupert Brooke off Lulworth and in his autobiography records his last friendly encounter with Asquith, the Prime Minister. that's very good. (laughs) Which he felt the most surprising incident of his whole life. Quote, I was walking on a hot summer's day in Oxfordshire, along the banks of a small river, and I got so warm that I thought I would go in and bathe. And I went in and bathed. The place seemed completely lonely, and I bathed without a costume. When I came out who should I find standing on the bank but the Prime Minister? <laughs> a great surprise to me. It was no occasion for dignity or for serious discussion of great political problems. I put on my clothes as quickly as I could while he conversed in an amiable manner, and that was the last time I had a friendly, comfortable relation with Mr Asquith. It's brilliant. So good, but again, it's what you were saying about... Um, uh, Rachel, what you were saying about the the... An anecdote has been noticed in the reading of a book which presumably had nothing else in it that could be brought to the, to the, to the book, noted down... Put away.
2: I like that bit in the in the in, in the introduct in the sort of introductory chapter where he says, you know, that there was a there was a, a period where he was just writing notes about every time he noticed anything about swimming, he wrote it down, and then he, he said the crazed irrelevance of these notes. I, mm. I do now acknowledge.
1: But I? you get that but when you're obsessed with something, yeah.
3: it's everywhere. He re- he says novels and poetry seem to revolve around water and swimming in a way that was quite out of proportion to the author's intentions. And anyone who's really, I mean, I, I've yeah. been doing. With birds recently, it's like there's birds in everything I'm reading. It's at confirmation moment. bias. It's confirmation no bias. It's yeah. total yeah, confirmation you see it, bias. But you but you
0: know it it when it's wo- that's what like, well, it know work. That's why. I who it? You know when it's working once yeah. you once yeah. you see yeah, the, like the like connection. Can, 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 I, can I do one
4: more funny anecdote? Because this made me laugh a lot. Uh, signs of urine in his pool <laughs> shocked Orson Welles. In an attempt to embarrass the culprits, he found a chemist who had developed a clear, colourless liquid which, on insertion in the water, could immediately detect those who had abused their privileges. We put this stuff in and we invited our friends out, naturally, at the weekend, and they were swimming around in raspberry-coloured clouds. They were all doing it, you see. We discovered during our scientific investigation that it was overwhelmingly the men who did it and women of advanced years.
0: This is very good, Walsham awesome Wells.
4: The awful revelation that so many of his sophisticated friends habitually misused the pool in this way Greatly dismayed. <laughs>
0: greatly
4: dismayed. Greatly dismayed. <laughs> I mean, it, it's genius. You See, that's D-
2: that beautiful. That, that yeah. greatly dismayed. It's just a. I want, can I just read this? This is what, this is. A, this is the thing. If you've read a book twenty-five years ago and I haven't read it since, although I've pressed it on hundreds of people, <laughs> you suddenly start reading. You start reading it, and sentences that you that have somehow lodged themselves inside yeah. you mm-hmm. come back. And this is what this is one that I that he's is when he's discuss, He's he's talking about. Uh, Diocletian's baths in Rome, and um, and how they were t- turned into very, uh, turned into a basilica and a church, um, a basilica designed by Michelangelo, and he was uh, he's, he's swimming in there and he's admiring the he's, the he's admiring the columns which are hewn out of single blocks of stone, forty three feet high. Was distracted recently by the sight of those startling columns, and that of a gypsy's naked breast feeding a pendant infant. I lost, through her liquid fingers, all the money in my possession. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so good. The most beautiful Oh, sentiment?
5: that's so good. I wrote I, I that I one do, down as well. No, he could do
3: stand-up. He could do stand-up. So but beautiful. it makes so, you want to know about him exactly. as a person. OK, okay. So, so, so we have to talk about this. We have to talk about
0: it. I want to go back to the learning why, why are there so many books about swimming? Yes. And what's on the other side? Because you can sing that to the Rainbow Connection. <laughs> why are there so many books about swimming?
3: Well, I mean, I think partly for exactly what Sprawlson is writing about, that there is a, 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 you know, this is not a false, this is not confirmation bias, this is not a false relationship. There is an intimate link between writing and swimming, I think. I think the kind of dream state that you get into when you're writing is very similar to the one you get into when you're swimming. I think there's absolutely no surprise that so many writers have been obsessed by the sea it's entering a different medium it's finding a different way of relating to your own consciousness um and i think that it is a a kind of that you know the swimmer is hero yeah it, it's your you're writing stories as you're moving through the water i do a lot of writing when i'm when i'm mm. swimming i you know i swim in the pool Mainly, I do swim in, in, in a river and in the sea occasionally, but I will on a Sunday night, I will go and I will swim for a, for an hour, and I will come out energized and full of ideas.
0: you know also you were saying weren 't you that, that we were talking about the sort of the narcissistic element uh, um, um, and this, the idea of mirrors uh, is a big thing in the book, and it occurs to me that it 's a book. In a sense, it's an obsessive book, mm. as you say, mm. a book of obsession, about obsessed people. The swimmers that he are inter- is interested in are the ones who will swim themselves to death often. You know, they are the ones who will immerse themselves so deep that they never come back. But
4: listen, <laughs> we have to ask,
3: I, what happened to Sprawson? He
4: well, this is twenty five years. He's so let not-
3: me tell you let me tell you a little bit about Sprawson before. Um before this was published, because actually his uh, I what I did when I knew we were doing this was I went and I spoke to everyone I could find who knew him. Right. Um so uh, everyone from Tash Orr, the 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 great great novelist, great writer, to David Godwin to Nicholas Pearson who was his um, editor. So he was as, as Rachel said, born in, in Pakistan, raised in India. His Father was the headmaster of a school for Indian princes, as he sort of refers to yeah. it at, the, at the beginning. Uh, he studied at Trinity Dublin, played squash for Ireland. Um, and worked as a swimming pool attendant uh, he taught literature in Saudi Arabia and then established a fine art dealership in London specializing in Victorian painting which he would go out and sell for a few weeks each year to people in the Channel Islands and this was his market <laughs> and so he um, and his coming to the Channel Islands was a real red letter day for the tax exiles out there and he would have uh, he would be asked to stay with various couples out there. One couple had uh, asked him to get paintings of every British Prime Minister uh, of whom I think there have been 50 or so. Um, Another couple uh, used to wait until he drove his car onto the onto the ferry uh, to leave, and then they would let off a firework as he <laughs> left. Um,
1: my,
0: as I could just say, to John and my our faces <laughs> could be described as creased with delight at the moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at
1: Every everyone,
0: than I we hoped spoke, for.
3: everyone I spoke to was full of the most extraordinary. Yeah. You know, you could just tell that people were grinning at the thought of him, and he sounded like the most wonderful... And I'm, I'm speaking... He is, he is still alive. He's, out He's still out there. Um, he, another reason I love him is that... So that one of the reasons I'm so totally obsessed with swimming is that my dad is a big swimmer and, and, and taught me to swim, and, and we have swum a lot together. And my dad read this book. I gave it to him um, and loved it so much he found out where Sprawson was living and started writing to him, and they began a correspondence... Um, and uh, I, I asked my dad when he'd last heard from Charles, and he said, well, well it was a few years ago, and he really wasn't well. And, and he came down uh, with, I think, cancer of the throat um, uh, a few years back and, and has really been going through a difficult time. And obviously, you know... Um, I got an email via Nicholas Pearson saying that he was on the mend... Uh, that he was potentially coming out of hospital and that mm-hmm. things are looking up, and that he's working on another book. Wow. A book um. about uh, a great and um, obviously completely insane swimmer called, uh, uh, I think, sorry, oh, Martin Strell. Yeah. Strel? Strell? Strell, I think, who's a Slovenian Sloven. who swam the Amazon. Decided it wasn't he, quite far enough and carried he holds, on swimming. He holds all these amazing uh, records, Martin um, really. So, um, you know, but but when I so when I first talked to David Godwin about it, David hadn't heard that he was getting better and and actually gave me some very gave me very bad news about Charles's condition. Um, and then my dad, I spoke to my dad again and my dad said, I don't know whether to tell you this or not. Um, I didn't tell you at the time because I knew you'd be up so upset because I knew how, how much you loved the book, but um, Charles came to one of your book launches because he'd heard that you were such a fan. And <laughs> you were all caught up in it, you know, being, <laughs> being oh, a God. God. And he didn't come and say hello. Oh, no. he, he bought a copy of the book and oh, left. God. And and just the thought, so I've I've That's actually... N- Nicholas has put me in touch with his uh, stepdaughter, and um, uh, oh, daughter-in-law. I can't. Anyway, um, with with a member of his family, and and I am going to go and visit him because you Wonderful. know this is a book that has 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 been one of the the kind of props of my life and has played such a role in who I am and what I'm interested in and that thing you do when you reach about our age where you finally realise the things that make you really happy yeah. and you just do them as much as you can and swimming and reading are two of those things and that's why I want everyone to read this book and that going back to your question at the beginning it's, it's not just a book for swimmers it's a book about obsession it's a book about love and it's a book about literature
4: well that's fantastic, Alex. And we can say no more. That is absolutely brilliant place to end. Thank you. Um,
0: well, thank you to Alex. I'm, I'm not going swimming now.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll read, I'll read another book. It does. John, Rachel, and I now
3: take yeah, yeah. Andy and throw him <laughs> the in
1: the, the canal. Table. Again?
4: There's a pike out there, Andy. Yeah, yeah okay. Uh, Well, thank you to Alex Preston, to Rachel Kerr, to our producer, Matt Hall, and again to our sponsors, Unbound. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at BacklistedPod, Facebook, uh, facebook facebook.com forward slash BacklistedPod, and on our page on the Unbound site, which is unbound.com forward slash backlisted Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another show in a fortnight. Until then,
0: goodbye. I was going to sing some of Loudon Wainwright III's "The Swimming Song" at this point, but well, I decided that I can't boss possibly Cags, for I, I Vido Shuffle. The, I no? don't want the pathetic drop after <laughs> after Alex's wonderful. Uh, I, I, I I I would like to add that what a pleasure it is, Massive. as it so often is on backlisted, to have the opportunity to discover or discover a new a book like this one. So thank you very much, everybody, and we'll see you next time.
4: If you prefer to listen to Backlisted without adverts, you can sign up to our Patreon. It's www.patreon.com forward slash backlisted. As well as getting the show early you get a whole two extra episodes of what we call lock-listed, which is Andy, me and Nikki talking about the books, music and films we've enjoyed in the previous fortnight.